Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us and Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Peter. Happy New Year. <laughs> Welcome to 2022. Yes, it feels odd. I want to say exactly <laughs> when we're recording this, but Christmas hasn't happened yet. So hope it's not jinxing it to sort of say that. But yes, welcome back, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the break. We enjoyed our break. Um, I hope Santa was good to you and I hope you're well and happy. And we wish you all the very best for 2022. So this week, we are back at it. We are doing issue 61 of Green Lantern, which was published on the 11th of April, 1968. Mm-hmm. Just about two weeks after my folks got married, if you're paying attention. And it's the final team-up in the Silver Age of Green Lantern, Alan Scott and Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Indeed, yes. Is this the end of the Silver Age, right before our eyes? It could be. PC, do you want to tell everyone about the cover to issue 61 of Green Lantern? I'd love to. This cover is delightful. We have a glorious blue background, very atmospheric angle down a city street. We have, in a spotlight, one of those lovely Dutch tilts that I love to go on about. <laughs> Alan Scott's Green Lantern, the original Green Lantern of Earth 2. The original! Indeed, you might say. And he has his head in his hand. Looks very forlorn. Yes, he's looking quite distraught. And over him is a giant red-shaded Hal Jordan, Earth-1 Green Lantern. And he's shaking his power-ringed fist at him. And he's saying, You crazy fool! Your abuse of green power destroyed every person on Earth! Gosh. It's worth pointing out that there's some bits of paper floating around. Mm-hmm. I wonder what could be on those bits of paper. Possibly our script, because I don't have anything written down here. Yes. <laughs> Start speculating now, listeners. Write in and let us know what Mm. do you think is on these bits of paper that are flying around Alan. Could it be the pages of an unpublished GL team-up? Could it be pages from this comic? Could it be... I don't know what it could be, but it's a very, very effective cover. It's almost like a a midnight summer sky feel to it. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. This cover was homaged in a variant cover, which I'll put up on the socials, which I think replaced Alan with St. Walker, the Blue Lantern, a few years ago. Oh, yes, of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. And very interestingly, is. Followers on our Facebook and Instagram page will know that where, where we can find them. We post foreign editions, non-US editions of reprints of, of the stories that we're covering. And what's fascinating is the cover for this one was repurposed for a French Green Lantern comic. Bon, d'accord. Yeah, but they, they called Hallin properly. As, as Pete said, is this sort of pinkish red tint to him on the cover here. Mm-hmm. They called Hallin properly. And removed Alan Scott from the image. So you just get an angry Hal Jordan to move over a city. And in the comic, apparently didn't reprint GL61, it reprinted Green Lantern's Wedding Day from GL32. Wow, which you can check out further back in our feed. Yes, you can. It's a very, very interesting bit of art. I'd love to have seen it sort of by now homage with maybe a couple of other superheroes, maybe perhaps mm-hmm. Michael Holt looming over Terry Sloan, you know, for the Missile Terrifics, or even Barry Allen shaking his hand at, at Jay Garrick or something. Something like that would have mm-hmm. been cool, but it's a very, very nice cover by Gil Kane, obviously. Yep. Very, very effective. So, shall we dive into the story? Let's jump in. Worth mentioning, the inside page has a DC house ad that advertises the first appearance of Hawk and Dove. Oh, excellent. And also issue 180 of The Flash, which Pete and I actually talked about very briefly in one of our recent episodes as a Flash story that we both disliked actively. So there you go. <laughs> There's a wee bit of bonus for you there. So the, the opening page, we have a Green Lantern logo. We have another side-out box that says co-starring the original Green Lantern in a full-length power pack novel. A caption that says, story by Mike Frederick, art by Gil Kane and Sid Green. Mm-hmm. And then we kick off. So in the first panel, we see Hal Jordan and Alan Scott flying through the air 
Alan's cape furling behind him, both firing outwards from their power rings. Hal Jordan is saying, We've tracked him down at last, Alan. Our rings reveal his hideout is just ahead. Let's show this supervillain of yours, Captain What's-His-Name, isn't as challenging as he thinks, Hal. The second panel shows the two Green Lanterns flying towards the wall of a very tall building, firing their power beams at the wall. Alan says, His defences against us fell apart when we stopped his last raid. He's inside this building. Let's wrap this up quick. And our storytelling is now interrupted by a caption that says, You better get set, Green Lanterns. It's going to take both of you to thwart this thoroughly modern modern mayhem. mayhem. It's obviously a spin on thoroughly modern Molly or something, probably. Millie. That's what did I say? Molly. That's me showing my ignorance there, listeners. My complete (laughs) lack of awareness of what it is I'm talking about. So there you go. Panel three, then, of this opening page. So we don't really have a splash as such, which is very interesting. Mm. Two Green Lanterns burst through the wall of this building, power beams still flashing, and some scientific equipment in front of them. And the scientific equipment is being operated by a very muscular, goateed, bald gentleman wearing a purple unitard with some sort of line detailing, some nice effects on the sleeve. He's wearing gauntlets around his wrist that are mm-hmm. dark blue, a thick belt. And as he whirls around, he cries... What? I've used up all my power, and you Green Lantern still broke through. Top of page two, in the first panel, Hal punches the bald gentleman, sending him flying, saying, Two against one isn't fair, so me first. This is my Earth, after all. Bald guy goes flying, staggers to his feet in the second panel, rubbing his face, pulling a gun, he says, I don't call myself Captain Challenge for nothing. And he shoots at Hal. Burst of energy, burst of yellow energy, actually, which I don't know if that's going to be significant. Hal cries, the guy's got himself a dinky super gadget. Alan Scott rushes forward with the next panel, firing his beam at the gun, saying, Experience before jurisdiction, GL. Anyway, he escaped from my earth in the first place. Then Alan thinks, Good thing my power ring isn't affected by yellow like Hal's is. Ah, so that's very interesting then, because normally I feel that a couple of years ago we might have had a little footnote saying, Due to a necessary imperfection, and she explains why Hal's down. Indeed, yes. In the bottom of panel four we can see Hal Jordan's Green Lantern's feet, one of his legs, so he's obviously been knocked unconscious. Alan lunges forwards towards Captain Challenge in the final panel, saying, And now to tie up the loose strings. Captain Challenge thinks. That's what he thinks. Top of page three in the first panel, Captain Challenge takes a swing at Alan Scott, Green Lantern. Captain Challenge says, You're just an old has-been in my book, Green Lantern, and here's something to prove it. Hal gets to his feet in the next panel, saying, No sweat, pal. I'll take it. No. He's mine, says Alan. Next panel with a zap. Alan Scott punches Captain Challenge in the, in the true falling backwards Gil Kane style. Captain Challenge mm, out of the yes. ground goes flying. Hal proudly stands and watches, thinking, Don't tell me Alan's getting uptight over his age. Look at him. He's still as strong as ever. We have a slow dissolve, the caption for the next panel says. Later, outside a police precinct station. The two Green Lanterns are leaving. It's a very, very detailed building behind him. Alan Scott Green Lantern is saying, After Challenge serves time for his crimes here, he'll still have another court to face back in my Earth too. How often do we have to show crime doesn't pay? I guess we'll always be proving it, Alan, so long as people continue to violate each other's rights. Final panel then of page three. Nice close-up shot of the two Green Lanterns as Hal's ring lights up and Hal says, Here we glow again. An SOS call from a fellow Green Lantern. Hal Jordan Green Lantern flies off in the first panel of page four, as Alan Scott Green Lantern remarks. It never ends, eh? Good luck, Hal. See you around. I've got to get back to my other work anyway. So the next panel shows, oh, it's great. It's one of these fantastic, trippy, Gil Kane Green Lantern travelling between dimensions panels. 
lots of swirling pink loops and funny lines all around Alan, who's now been sort of shady grey as he travels along. And, and a nice wibbly-wobbly caption tells us. And so, Alan Scott, you travel back to Earth 2, that other dimensional world where history has strangely paralleled Hal Green Lantern Jordan's Earth, even to the point of similar Emerald Crusaders. Caption for the next panel continues. You arrive home in Gotham City and switch to civvies for your job as president of the Gotham Broadcast Company. Yep, over two panels we see Alan back in his civvies, nice very smart blue suit, no mask, he looks weird without his mask, I'm so used to <laughs> seeing him without his mask. We see Alan walking along and then arriving at the GBC building, and as he walks along he's thinking, I hope it isn't as hectic here, because this constant running around just isn't my bag anymore, as today's kids put it. Caption for the final panel on page four says, Tough luck, Alan. This day just isn't destined to be a quiet one, for even as you enter your offices... Yep, see Alan going through the nice glass door, a couple of young people in front of him. One of the, the young women is running towards him, looking very panicked. Alan says, Miss Fadden, what? Oh, Mr. Scott, Johnny Halliday and Tommy Saunders, it's terrible! Calm down, Sally, calm down, what's going on? Johnny and Tommy are having a horrible fight in Studio 2. No one can get close enough to stop them. Someone's gonna get hurt bad! So the slightly unusual director Alan narration continues for the next panel, saying, You race to the studio in question. Sees Alan and Sally arrive in a studio. There's a nice little sign on the wall that says, On the air. Guy in a striped corduroy jacket standing over another fella in a pale sort of brownish-grey suit. The guy in the brown jacket we learn is Johnny, and he's standing over the other fella, and he's holding a microphone attached to a cord. It looks like he's going to strike him with it, and he's in the process of saying, This'll cool you but he gets interrupted by Alan. Hold it! Caption him for the next panel. Your feet flash swiftly across the room, and... A very dynamic panel as Alan tackles Johnny. Gotcha! Johnny drops a microphone. The other chap's down on the floor. Alan points towards him. There's some hands coming into the panel. Obviously someone's trying to... Check out the guy on the floor, see if he's okay. But Alan says, Don't touch Saunders. He looks pretty bad. Call for an ambulance. He's grabbed Johnny by the sort of scruff of his jacket almost, and he's saying, And now, what's this all about, Johnny? You two are, where, the best of friends. Top page six now. You can see Johnny sweating profusely as his hand to his brow, and he's saying, I was getting set for my next show here in the warm-up studio when Tommy stalked in like the devil himself and attacked me. My, my mind snapped. I didn't mean to hurt him. I hope he'll be all right. Meanwhile, you'd, Better get moving, you're due on the air, eh? And Alan's interrupted by another member of GBC staff who looks very much like Harry Osborne from the Spider-Man comics. Had Gil started drawing Spider-Man yet? I don't think he had. No, not yet. So Harry Osborne, it's only a bit of paper, and he's saying, Mr. Scott, another crime wave has started again. Our news bureau got word that a waterfront warehouse was just robbed. Alan takes the briefing and reads it and thinks, Hmm, just when the Easter parade downtown was on and a lot of police were pulled off to direct traffic. The guy who planned this is sharp. I'd better get into action. The crime leader is finding out where the police are and and aren't. I'm going to have to keep on constant alert to catch the gang. Yep, over a couple of panels here, we see Alan rushing away, taking off his suit jacket, unloosening his tie, obviously getting into his GL uniform. He continues to think, Phew, And I hope things would cool down here. The freaky directed narration concludes this page saying, You proceed to pour out powering energy in the search for evil. You don't have long to look. So the final panel of page six shows Green Lantern, Alan Scott, almost leaping a tall building in a single bound mm, by the looks yes. of it. Leaping over a building and you can see a bunch of police cars grouped in the, the ground in front of them. Officers standing around and GL is thinking, Several police cars down around that car crash. So, 
neighbouring areas might just be having a few intruders. Interesting, yeah, if all the police are diverted. Very interesting. So we're at the mm. top of page 7 now. The narration caption says, And sure enough, not far away. We see a couple of hoods in suits carrying briefcases with dollars flying everywhere. They look very well turned out. Nice sharp hats and stuff. And this guy at the front looks like a kind of very buff Maxwell Lord. He does, yes. And there's one of those patent Dutch tilts going on that Peter's so fond of. Mm-hmm. He goes on about them a lot in, in real life, actually. It's quite alarming. I do. I generally walk at a 30 degree angle. Yeah. <laughs> you should see it, listeners. Honestly. Yeah, so Green Lantern Alan Scott's flying down towards these bad guys, and he's thinking, Those fellows leaving that department store don't look like they're carrying those guns for fun and games. The narration says, Your ring, Lance, is out. Yeah, burst of, massive burst of green energy from Alan's left hand there, striking at a couple of the goons' hands. One of the goons says, Ow! My gun! Too hot to handle! And then Alan cries in the next panel, Hot? I'm just getting warm. Another dynamic panel of some bad guys getting punched. It's terrific. <laughs> One of them looks very much like Ronald Reagan. Does he? Look at him. That's the Maxwell Lord guy that I just referenced. Yeah, no, but it looks more like Ronald Reagan in that picture. You think that looks like Ronald Reagan? Oh, I yeah. don't know. I think he looks like an elderly, sunken potato <laughs> or applehead type thing. Okay. Okay, right. But fair enough. We're not, we're not going to sit here all night arguing <laughs> over which former US president he looks like. Um, listeners, write in and let us know. Which former US president you think the bad guy getting punched at bottom page 7 looks like? So we're at top of page 8 with a crack. Green Lantern punches out one of the hoods saying, You people are starting to get to me. Maybe this will convince you. Then the linking narration caption for the next panel says, But evil never seems to be persuaded. Moments later in the warehouse district, you're in the thick of it again. Yeah, I want to know who's narrating the story here. Yeah. It's very different to anything we've had before. It's interesting. So we see mm-hmm. Alan again flying down towards a truck, which has some very careful lettering on the side, which partially obscured by a speech bubble, but it's clear that it says Kane's careful carting, with every letter starting with a K, so that's quite funny. So Alan flies down yes. towards this truck. These guys are obviously on the make. He flies down and he thinks, That nearby fire tipped me off to this. And one of the guys lifting one of the boxes in at the back of the truck cries, Green Lantern! And then the next panel with a zow! Green Lantern punches out a couple more bad guys and thinks, How much more of this do I have to take? And a tiny little caption box says, Story continues on the second page following. Yep, over the page is a nice full page advertisement for the 80 page giant Superman issue 207. 1938 to 1968, classic tales featuring Superman's friends and foes. Happy birthday, so they're obviously celebrating his 30th anniversary, so that's quite interesting. Mm. And it went on sale on April the 9th, so that's good. And... A lovely big caption at the bottom of that says, From us to you, only the best. So that's obviously riffing in the Beatles, probably. So, page nine, there's a caption at the first panel and it says, But on you go, as crime continues unabated throughout the bright day past the dying sunset and deep into the dark night. And this is a classic Gil Kane montage panel. It's dominated by a sort of headshot of Alan looking very, very moody. The left of the panel, as we look at it, sees Green Lantern punching out a bad guy and getting to grips with another bad guy, and to the right of the panel we see another bad guy getting punched, and another bad guy getting a gun zapped out of his hand by the power ring. As Green Lantern punches out a bad guy at the left of the panel, he says, Don't these vicious felons ever stop? And the close-up headshot of Green Lantern, who I have to say, reminds me of Ronnie Barker for some reason. Ronnie Barker? I don't see that. Yeah, <laughs> as if the mask is his glasses and the way, because we can't see that he's blonde, the way his hair sort of curled back, it looks like. Okay. That's just, well, you thought the other guy looked at Ronald Reagan. That's because he did. <laughs> this guy, this is the spit of Ronnie Barker. 
You're obviously not a fan. Anyway, so... Oh, I'm a huge fan. Close-up of Ronnie Barker, and he's thinking... The same pattern. First something draws them away, and then a crime nearby. Yeah, it's a shame we were interrupted, really, by the, the story continues in second page following caption, because that's obviously him referring to the, the car crash that the police were attending as a distraction from the, the shop being robbed, and then the fire as a distraction from the, the warehouse mm. being robbed. So there's obviously something going on. So, panel two, then, page nine, down at the bottom, has a caption that says... And as the sun once more sneaks up to announce a new dawn... Yeah, it's another very striking Gilkane panel. Big red sun in the background as GL flies along with his cape flowing out behind him, and Green Lantern's thinking, I feel like when I was back in school pulling all-nighters before my big tests. So help me if I see another criminal. And then in the final panel of this page, we see that his ring is lighting up again, and Alan thinks, What? Again? Someone's robbing my friend Bruce Wayne's mansion. Then a caption that concludes this page says, Bruce Wayne? But he's Batman. Bet you readers forgot he's also in Gotham City. I didn't. Signed Batmaniac Mike. Now that is unusual. It's very rare we get little signed footnotes in, in DC Comics in this period. That's very much a Marvel thing, isn't it? Yeah, certainly from the writer. Usually that's from the editor, if they do anything like that. Yeah, it's very odd. You can imagine something like that being signed from Rascally Roy. Mm-hmm. Or Smiling Stan. Yeah, so this is interesting. A mention of the Earth 2 Bruce Wayne and the Earth 2 mm-hmm. Batman. That's very interesting. Because he hasn't popped up yet as such. I mean, there was that detective comic story where we saw yeah. what if, and he's obviously referenced in the stories with the adult Robin. But that's very, 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 very interesting. So, top of page 10, Green Lantern swooping over the city, cape flying behind him, and he thinks, Bruce is out of town to receive an award as Batman. So I had my ring set up a burglar alarm to protect his estates. Well, it's off to Wayne Manor. Wow, what an amazing panel that was. Fantastic. That just makes me have so many questions. Yep. And so the second panel of page 10, Green Lantern's running through an open door of Wayne Manor, and there's a suited and booted bad guy putting a small, lumpy statue into a bag, or at least he's attempting to. Green Lantern runs towards him, thinking, If Dick Grayson hadn't moved out when he grew up, I wouldn't have to be doing this. Ooh, that's fantastic continuity. The bad guy sees Green Lantern coming and thinks, the boss was right when he broadcast that Millionaire Wayne was away in business. This plush pad is... Hey! Green Lantern! And he says in the next panel, swinging the statue threateningly. Long as you're here, GL, I'll show you a smashing time. I'm too tired to fight. My ring will take... But then we get a close-up at the bottom of this page. Green Lantern looks surprised and thinks... Hey, it's run out of power. I never had time to recharge it. And then a footnote reminds us... Alan Scott's power ring must be recharged every 24 hours to maintain power. Final panel, page 10 then. The bad guy that's robbing Wayne Manor swings forward with the statue and a panicked Green Lantern falls back thinking... Leaping at me with murder in his eyes and hands. Top of page 11, the first panel. The statue bounces slightly off Alan's head. The bad guy says, only grazed him. Uh, moved away just enough. Green Lantern thinks. Next panel, the bad guy raises the statue again, but we see Green Lantern looking very pained. Little bursts of light around his head. He's obviously suffering. The bad guy says, Gonna get you this time! However, with a whomp, Green Lantern sends him flying the next panel. Over a couple of panels, actually. That's mm-hmm. phenomenal bit of layout work from Mr. Kane. That's definitely going in the socials. As he sends the bad guy flying, Alan says, Not in your life, or mine! And the rest of this page is taken up. Sequence of three panels as Green Lantern basically slaps the bad guy around, punctuating each slap with some dialogue. He says, You almost <laughs> killed me. Sends the bad guy flying with a massive 
burst of concussive energy in the final panel. So we arrive at the top of page 12. The Moody caption says, Finally, when all's quiet on the crime front, you return home dead tired. Very moody, beautifully lit panel here. The light in the corridor behind Alan as he opens the door into his apartment, shaded so that he's all in grey. It's very effective. This is a very nice looking comic. Green Lantern Alan Scott is thinking, Shouldn't have hit that crook again after he was out, but he almost killed me. Me. Dead. What would happen to Earth if I weren't around? He continues to think over the next couple of panels. Some nice moody shots and then he looks very concerned. Nobody could fill in for me and my power ring. Not even Dr. Fate and his magic, or the Spectre and his supernatural powers. Why, I once thought of ordering the ring to eliminate all the evils of the world, but I never got around to it. Don't know why. Guess I thought I'd wait until I'd retired or something. Next panel, we see a nice close-up insert shot of Alan's hand as he switches on his radio, and he continues to think. But I was almost killed tonight. Maybe I ought to... Ah, cool down, Scotty. Maybe some soft music will... And then a voice comes from the radio saying, Now, for the latest news headlines. The death toll for this week in Vietnam has reached a new high. Once more, guns have fired across the Jordan. For the third straight night, the previous peaceful border city has been torn by riots. Alan stands up from his chair, thinking, What's the world coming to? It's getting worse every... What? And he looks around, and we can see that his chest of drawers in the corner is lying open, and some of his clothes are sort of lying in a state of disarray. Alan continues to think, My place! It's been ransacked! Oh my god! My own home! The narration for the first panel on page 13. Your brain reels with dark, angry thoughts. Yeah, we see an enraged Alan Scott shaking his fist at Ether and saying, That's it! The last straw! I've taken too much! I'm gonna do it! And the narration for the next panel continues, saying, Your fatigue is forgotten as you scream out an oath uttered from the early beginnings of your career. And another very dynamic Gil Kane panel, almost at a Dutch tilt again, of Alan charging his ring at his power battery, back in his uniform, all lit up in green, and he yells, And I shall shed my light over dark evil, for the dark things cannot stand the light of Green Lantern. The narration captioned for the next panel says, Then there erupts the most forceful command of your crusading career. And a close shot of Alan Lapp in green, he looks absolutely manic. His eyes are wide, his left fist raised, we can see his power ring, and he yells, Power ring! I order you to get rid of all evil on earth that is plaguing mankind! And then over the page now, first panel of page 14. And, as an astonishing result... And this is another panel which is definitely going on the socials. We see a shot of Alan in Green Lantern costume and swirling lines behind him. Also sort of montage, which I guess is just representing every other person on the planet. And they're all starting to fade out. They're all fading to grey. It's coloured in black and white, but it looks almost like a pencil drawing that's mm-hmm. been printed. Everyone's dissolving and Green Lantern is looking at his hands and he's thinking, I, I'm disappearing. How? And then... The narration for the next panel. Even as you fade away, Alan Scott, so do all your fellow beings, leaving behind your power ring that drops unheard on a depopulated planet. And sure enough, we see Alan's power ring dropping to the floor and bouncing. And the final caption rounds out this part of the story, saying, Don't stop now, baby. It all hangs out (laughs) in part two, starting on fourth page following. Wow, this is an epic so far. So the rest of this page is taken up with an advertisement that says, Will our new Western hero save the West or ruin it? So was that Batlash or Jonah? That was Batlash, wasn't it? 
I think it's Backlash, yeah. I think it was before Jonah. Mm-hmm. Jonah doesn't appear till All-Star Western issue 10, and that's a 52-page giant, and the 52-page yeah. giants are way off. So it's definitely Backlash looking very scary, mm. it must be said. The opposite page is a direct currents page, which mentions some issues of Hawkman, the Metal Men, Sugar and Spike. Over the page, it's the letters page for that issue, and then there's a full page of DC House adverts for issue 2 of Secret Six, and issue 78 of Brave and the Bold, which featured Batman and Wonder Woman and Batgirl struggling with Copperhead. So, finally arrive on page 15 of the story, and a caption box that says, Thoroughly Modern Mayhem Part 2. And a caption very helpfully says, The scene shifts to interplanetary space, where silently speeds a familiar figure. Yeah, cracking shot of Green Lantern Hal Jordan zooming through space via a big green power beam, and he's thinking, Good thing I was able to recharge my ring at the Grendian GL's power battery. Otherwise, I'd never have made it back to Earth. Next panel shows how, in the atmosphere, obviously, flying down. And he's looking over a desert area, and he's thinking, Huh? What's that gigantic blob on the desert sod flats of Utah? That's the Osmond family, Hal. <laughs> they supported uh, menswear at the Hammersmith Apollo in 1993. Yes. <laughs> so imagine menswear and the Osmond family on the same bill. I know. That'd be phenomenal. Johnny, Johnny Dean coming out to join them mm-hmm. for Love Me For A Reason. That'd be phenomenal. Anyway, back to the story. Panel 3, page 15, shows Green Lantern Hal Jordan flying down over the, the desert. And it's clear that what you can see is a crowd of well, lots of people. Hal's thinking, people in suspended animation. Millions of them. Billions. Packed together like sardines. In the final panel of page 15, we saw it were down in the crowd. Almost a, a person's eye view looking up as Hal flies over. And Green Lantern is thinking, where'd they come from? They aren't from this world. I could see that as I flew in. But they're obviously Earthmen. There's only one conceivable answer. They are from Earth too. And in top of page 16, the first panel, we see Green Lantern Hal Jordan flying through the same swoopy, swirly panel that we saw Alan flying in as he returned to his own off earlier in the story. Hal is thinking, some fantastic menace on that parallel world to mine must have caused this. I'd better find out what it's all about before I do anything with all these people. Caption for the next panel. But upon reaching Earth 2... No one does shorthand storytelling montage like Gil Kane. This is beautiful. Mm. It's a shot of, might be, you know, that's clearly the Eiffel Tower. There's a couple of other buildings. That could maybe be St. Paul's Cathedral if you stretched. It's another yeah. building that looks like it might be the Empire State. Very, very interesting. And Sort of hovering over this as a translucent Hal Jordan head that's thinking, this world is deserted, but no threat anywhere. Could the cars be in outer space? I'd better get my ring into this. The next panel, Hal's standing with a slight rocky outcrop, gesturing with his ring, and he's thinking, nope, the ring doesn't register anything unusual in the way of radio waves or anything else from out there. The source of the problem must be here. If there's any trace of what caused this, the ring will find it. Lead me to it. He flies off again. Name of a caption for the next panel that says In response to the ring command, the Emerald Crusader abruptly finds himself in most surprising surroundings. Yeah, we see Hal kneeling down, beholding another power ring that's on the ground in front of him. And Hal is thinking, Alan Scott's apartment? His power ring left behind on the floor? What's the connection? Gotta get back to my earth with Alan's ring and find out. And then we get a nice bit of storytelling abbreviation, heavy lifting, and a caption that says and on Earth One is where you, Alan Scott, once more come into the picture. Yeah, we're back with our overseeing omnipotent narrator. I wish I knew who it was. Interesting. Hmm. So, Green Lantern Hal Jordan is flying over the crowds, and he's been able to isolate and spot Alan. He sends a little Green Lantern hook to, to lift him out, and Hal thinks, 
There he is. Now to fish him out of there and get him to talk. Wow. Top of page 17, in fact all of page 17, the two Green Lanterns have a conversation. Hal, who's actually been called here so that he looks like Kai Gardner. <laughs> Again, yes. <laughs> Gosh, oh, this story's getting very confusing. Hal kicks things off, saying, what happened? Why? I failed. It didn't work. Leave me alone. Come on, Alan. It's never that bad. Tell me all about it. And then we're interrupted by a cosmic narrator, who says, With a voice of despair, you pour out your woeful tale. And Green Lantern Alan Scott continues, Can't you see? I failed. Miserably. I overlooked the basic human fact that everyone by nature has some evil in him. The only way my ring could obey my command was to remove the entire population off Earth and immobilize them. The ring itself stayed behind so I couldn't countermand the order because I too am partially evil. In other words, I can't possibly stop it. Evil will always be present. Hal puts his hand on Alan's shoulder on the next panel saying, Listen to me, Alan. You've got to go on. Why? What's the use? It's beyond me. You're wrong. Despite what's happened, you can't stop resisting evil once you've committed yourself to this goal. Listen, I too once wanted to give up when my hopes were destroyed. When Carol Ferris told me she was marrying someone else. But I found out you can't stop being what you are. What you should be. Because of even the greatest of setbacks. Once a Green Lantern, always a Green Lantern. Conversation continues on page 18 as Hal has both hands on Alan's shoulders to try and reassure him. And he's saying, You've got to keep plugging away at the little things. Don't get a hang-up over the big problems. Maybe it's a hassle, but they work themselves out if you give them time. Alan seems a bit brighter on the next panel. He puts a reciprocal hand on Hal's shoulder and says, I, I'm sorry, Hal. I never realised. You, you're right. Now how about we do something about it? Together. Our cosmic narrator says in the next panel, Your power ring is returned to your ready finger, and... It's a very interesting panel of Alan and Hal holding their respective fists and maiming this, listeners, <laughs> over the Zoom call. And Peter is thinking, what are you doing? But I'm just maiming it because it tells a story. They're holding their two fists together so that their two rings are sort of generating a big spark. And our Green Lanterns say simultaneously, Power rings! Send these people back! And then the next panel adjoined to that shows an empty street on Earth 2. I like the sign. It says, no parking, two-way zone, Gotham PD. And then, <laughs> instantly, same shot, but everyone's back. We see the street is now thronged with people. And uh, the cosmic narration continues. Earth 2's inhabitants resume living, totally unaware of anything that has happened. And we're back with our two Green Lanterns, with our two power rings together. And their little speech finishes. And, and bring, bring us, us to, Gotham to Gotham City, City on Earth, Earth 2. 2. So, page 18 runs out with a caption box that says... With your resolve renewed and your spirit strengthened, you implement your insight in an unfamiliar manner. Yep, Green Lantern Hal Jordan's flying off in this panel, and Alan in civvies waves back to him, saying, I'm going to the hospital to see an employee of mine and find out if I can patch up a little friendship. Okay by me. I'll start by trying to track down your big crime wave. And we follow Hal Jordan for the next few panels as he flies around, thinking, From what Alan told me, these crimes are extremely well organised. Question is, how do those criminals get their information so fast? Wait a sec. When I was here on Earth 2 before, I set my ring up to check for any out-of-place radio signals. Right now I'm picking up a VHF wave that definitely isn't okayed by the FCC. And then he says, Huh? What's that being broadcast now? And then a voice comes from Hal's ring. And he's close up here. This voice is saying, 
The way's finally clear. Get over to Dunn General Hospital and kick off Saunders in room 410. Next panel shows Hal swooping up into the air. Again, it's, that's a, another one of your Dutch tilts, or is it just, is it just a crazy bit of Gil Kane perspective? It's just a bit of worm's eye view from Gil Kane. It's phenomenal. It's a cracker. Hal's zooming up into the air and he's crying, Hospital? Saunders? That's where Alan is right now. And that's where I'm going. Then the final panel of page 19 shows Hal Jordan Green Lantern flying down a hospital corridor with medical professionals ducking out of the way. Hmm. I wonder if it's significant that the walls are painted yellow. Possibly not. Yeah. Anyway, there's a little sign on the wall that points and says, Rooms 410. It's obviously where he's headed. And as he flies along, Hal's thinking, I think the answer to the whole problem lies with Alan's employee. Saunders' room is around the bend of this corridor. Chances are Alan's not expecting any trouble and will need help. So we arrive at the top of page 20, and our omnipresent cosmic narrator says, But how wrong your fellow crusader is, eh, Alan? And there's a very dynamic panel as Hal flies in the open door and yells, Huh? Because what we see is Alan Scott in Sevy's in action. There's already one guy in a suit down on the ground, and there's another guy in the sort of traditional Barry Allen uniform of a, a green check jacket and brown trousers who's in the process of being punched and flying through the air after being socked by Alan. And then Hal lands, stands behind Alan for the next panel. Alan looks back, sees Hal and says, Come on, GL. I've got some private business to take care of. Very helpfully, Hal Jordan's thought bubble in the next panel says, What? First Alan switches to his costume and then comes to his office? Yep, because that's where we are. So a lady behind the desk. Green Lantern Alan Scott is leaning down in front of her saying, Where's Johnny Halliday, miss? Uh, in, in in Studio 2. Warming up, sir. The girl points off camera. Top of page 21. The first couple of panels are split by a diagonal as Green Lantern busts into the door of one studio crying, Halliday, you're the cause of all this. And we see a chap wearing headphones in the act of broadcasting and it's Johnny who we met earlier on and he says, Green Lantern, I, I, and then with a wham, a massive burst. This is astonishing. Mm. Green Lantern punches him out, sending him flying. Hal Jordan looks very amused in the final panel of page 21, and he says, Uh, GL? Yeah? What's this all about? We arrive at the top of page 22. Hal continues, I mean, like you just don't race into a broadcasting studio and knock out one of the disc jockeys for nothing, so there must be something. And Alan replies, You're right, and as soon as I take care of a few accomplices, I'll take you to the Gotham Square subway station, and I'll tell it like it is. So... Panel 2, page 22, has some cosmic narration that says, This done, you switch back to civilian Alan Scott. We're together with Hal Jordan. So, Alan Sevies, and he's saying to Hal, And when I got to the hospital, they told me that Tom Saunders was still under sedation and wasn't yet able to speak. However, they let me into his room. Then, just after the nurse stepped out, in walked... This panel shows Alan sat beside the bed. We can see the lad who got beaten up earlier on lying in the bed. Bandages around his head, etc. Alan sat behind. Two gentlemen have arrived in the room, and it's very obvious that they're the same two gentlemen that we saw Alan dealing with on page 20 when Hal was arriving. Alan says, Russ and Pete, what are you... those guns? And Russ, who's the guy wearing the, the Barry Allen-style green check jacket and brown trousers, says, Oh, sorry, boss. We didn't know you'd be here. I guess you're just going to have to go with Tommy. Alan says, What? What are you talking about? I guess it won't hurt to spill it now. You see, Johnny Halliday's been running that crime wave you've been hearing about from our radio station. And Pete chips in, saying, 
He gets all the info about where the police are from the news bureau and sends out messages so the jobs can be pulled without interference. Tommy here found out about it and threatened to call in the cops. Johnny almost put him out of the way when you stopped him. We're here to finish the job. As a slow dissolve, these panels will sort of ripple around them, and then we're back with Alan and Hal. Now it looks like they're on a subway car or a bus or something at this point, and Alan is saying to Hal, Well, when I heard that, I just blew open. You came in right at the end. Yes, so when Hal arrived in room 410, that was obviously what had been going down. Such a very interesting flashback motif there. So, over the page, top of page 23, Alan is saying to Hal, You know, Hal, I think it's sort of significant that my big worry, the crime wave, was solved when I went out to solve a small problem, a fight between friends. And that's why I asked you to come here with me, to show you this public service ad. I've been seeing every day, but never really looked at. And Alan gestures with his thumb to an advert on the wall. There's a little boy pulling a jumper on over his head. And it's the word PAL written on it. So he must be some kind of character, I'm assuming. In the text of this advert on the tube train says, To conquer the world, you have to start small. And Alan concludes, It just about says it all. The End. There's a Gil Kane signature after the end, which is quite appropriate because this is Gil Kane's final Teen Lantern story of this run. He does come back in about half a dozen issues and does okay. a couple more, but this is pretty much the end of an era. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Rest of the page is taken up with an, another advertisement for Angel and the Ape. We've already talked about them before. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was something else. I love that. Yeah, this is the second Mike Friedrich story we've done. And yep. again, it's got a kind of a message at the end, Yes, so to speak. Yes. Which we are not really used to from reading these Silver Age comics. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun. There's so much to talk about in this. There's almost a sort of thematic sort of sense of Green Lantern struggling with himself. Obviously, it's mm. very similar to the, the whole Wildcat yeah. struggling with himself in yeah, Issue definitely. 3 of the Spectre, mm-hmm. which was the other Mike Friedrich story. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how it's very much an Alan Scott story. Yeah, just like the Spectre was very much a Wildcat story. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed that very much. Mm. Friedrich's got the, he's got it, man. It's really raising the tone. It's really raising the mm-hmm. the sophistication of, of what we're getting because it's not that long ago since we did issue 45 in Prince Peril, which was yeah. a wee bit silly. Yeah, but still tons of fun. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, drama. High drama. I'd like to go back to Captain Challenge to start. Yes. This is a one-off character. He's not been in anything before. <laughs> He's not in anything since. He's a guy yes. from Earth 2 who mm-hmm. obviously discovers that there are parallel universities. He, mm-hmm. he obviously commits some crimes in Earth 2 for Alan to chase him to Earth 1. And he's committed some crimes in Earth 1. And he gets defeated by both the GLs. And then there's the whole moment where they're standing outside the courts and Alan's saying after he serves his time here, he's going to take him back to Earth 2 and serve his time there. Yeah. We've spoken briefly about this before, but what's the extradition? And Yes, we have. About, I think it was in the first Atom team, up, wasn't uh-huh. it? When we talked about, you know, this interdimensional justice system. Yeah. So that's um, so bizarre. It must be... I think we talked about it at the time when when mm. we did Flash 129, we speculated because there was a thing about um, a newspaper headline about the Flash from another Earth sort of helping that yeah. there must be some kind of regulated official mm-hmm. contact between the two Earths. Yeah. You know, at this point. I wonder if the, the thinker was caught up in that as well. <laughs> That'd be quite funny. I'd love to know what this muscle bound scientist is actually doing. Yes. That, you know, first of all, it was a crime and also what's his whole plan? What's his I mean it's just totally just dropped in there. Mike Friedrich could have picked any Earth 2 bad guy that Alan had been up against. He could have picked uh-huh. Nodar or someone, you know, and pops him in. That would have been really interesting. There's a touch of the 
of the MF Enterprises to him. <laughs> there certainly is, yes. Captain Challenge and he's bald with neat facial hair and he's mm-hmm. operating some scientific equipment. Although he would be wearing overalls if he was uh, in MF Enterprise. Well, it's quite... I mean, it's not the... It's not the most complicated of costumes. True. Compare it to maybe Volcano King or some of the underwater guys, whatever. <laughs> he does have a touch of the the MF to him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do things with my scientific equipment, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. Then with a zap, he gets punched out. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to use them when we write our comic. Could do, yeah, if we could explain his whole backstory. A 12-issue miniseries as a courtroom drama about how the entire procedure all plays out against him. With cameo appearances from Matt Murdock in the background. <laughs> Again, it all goes back to the sort of running list and theme that we have of ways to travel between the universes, because obviously yes. he's got some sort of device that enables him to do that. Yeah. And in this story, both Green Lanterns managed to, with their own rings, just travel between yeah. the two universes, which yeah. means basically that any Green Lantern from the Earth-1 universe mm-hmm. can, in theory, travel between universes using the power ring. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's interesting that they both seem to travel by the same method. It's, it seems to mm. be the, mm-hmm. the same background at each time. So maybe they've worked out a, a system. Mm-hmm. The cosmic narration thing was very interesting. Yeah, it did take you out of it a wee bit, to be honest. It was still fulfilling the same sort of function. Uh-huh. But rather than just a neutral sort of narrative, it was almost mm-hmm. like, as I said, some omnipotent voice was... Yeah. sort of narrating so I wonder who that could have been maybe it was the, the Mike Friedrich of Earth Prime that was narrating it it certainly puts Alan front and centre of the story absolutely very much so I mean Hal basically only gets about but three four pages tops of action just mm-hmm. solo so that's that's quite interesting yeah I wish that there'd been a, an ongoing Justice Society series written by Mike Friedrich at this point. I really do. Wow, yeah. Because the vast majority yeah. of superheroes at this point are still young men. Obviously, a lot of the Marvel heroes are uh-huh. very young men, teenagers still. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose middle-aged men in those days are probably seen as older than middle-aged men are seen as now, sort of, yeah. uh-huh. in society. So it would have been very interesting if there'd been a, a regular book of Mike doing the older JSA team and mm-hmm. everything they come up with. I, I guess that maybe, maybe comics weren't ready for it. Mm. Yeah. With Neil Adams and pencils, obviously. Oh, God, yes. Can you imagine? Oh, Oof. suits you, sir. But yeah, Alan certainly is a man of action for being a middle-aged hero. Yes. I love how Gil Kane puts a massive grin on his face as he's taking down some of the bad guys, but then you see when he's basically tiring and he's all business then. It's like, let's yes. get this done. I'm shattered. Uh, let's let's move on. Yes. And I love the idea of him setting up a, an alert at Bruce Wayne's mansion while Bruce is out of town. Bruce is out of town collecting an award. As Batman. Yeah, which is insane because we haven't, we haven't seen him. <laughs> yes, we haven't, we haven't seen it, and it's a long time before we see the Earth 2 Batman still. Mm-hmm. The Earth 2 soups pop up before too long, but we don't see uh-huh. bats for ages. It also, because it seems to suggest that on a level, Batman is still active. Yeah, well, it was said in that Robin JLA JSA story that he was in semi retirement. Yeah. He's probably just appearing to get a Man of the Year award, or maybe something for charity. Yeah, or maybe he rocks up and helps out when Dick's busy at university or something. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, obviously. We won't spoil it, what happens with the Earth 2 Batman in the long run. Yeah. So that's getting ahead of ourselves by about 10 years at this point. So mm-hmm. I love the sort of dynamic quality. I mean, we, I mean, we rattled through that on the reading. You know, mm-hmm. Mike Friedrich has got the golden touch, as far as I'm concerned. The story flows along. Mm-hmm. There's no captions that that really double down on what you're saying. There's no, there was very little yeah. see what you see yeah. sort of stuff. Uh-huh. He credits, obviously, as we said before, he credits the, the reader with the intelligence to work out what's going on and, and the storytelling is... I mean, I love the panels with everyone being returned to Earth 2 and 
Hal figuring out what was going on. Their standout panel for me was that everyone fading out as Alan has instructed the ring. Mm-hmm. It's an embarrassment of riches, frankly, yeah. from the artwork and a, a brilliant, brilliant script. I bought this comic a long time ago and hadn't, I hate mm-hmm. to say it, hadn't read it properly at all before we started doing the prep for this and I mm-hmm. thought it was phenomenal. Really, really yeah. enjoyed it. I think it might be my favourite of the, the Green Lantern team-ups. Really? More so than Krona? Really? Wow. Well, I mean, compare it, compare it. It took us hours to get through Green Lantern 40. But that was epic, though. That was birth of the multiverse stuff. Yeah, and scientific equipment that can do incredible things being bought at a local high street emporium, as we, we guessed, and the <laughs> Guardians rocking up and borrowing courtrooms. That was hilarious. I mean, put the two of them side by side, they're very, mm. very different, doing very, very different yeah. things. But I think mm-hmm. I found this one just a little bit more satisfying because it, it was a little bit more, I, I'm not going to say realistic, yeah. but it was a little bit more toned down for want of a better way of putting it sure mm-hmm. there's a couple of points i want to raise first of all you mentioned the people being transferred back to earth too this mm. is one of my bugbears for all these stories in which things like that happen and that is if people are transported from one place to another and then put back what happens to all the planes that were in flight all the cars that were in motion if people having surgery yeah that's reasonable unless time was frozen then you know that that's the only way that could work yeah the caption says, Earth 2's inhabitants resume living, totally unaware of anything that's happened. So they must have all been put back exactly where they were. Or yeah. Maybe the two GLs, maybe their willpower was strong enough to rewind time and prevent anyone. It'd have to be. As you say, putting all the aeroplanes. It's one of those things, it's like, you remember when they did it in Doctor Who that the master turned himself into everyone? Yeah. You could ask the same question then, you know, there probably would have been people in hospital, did he turn into mm-hmm. all the babies? Yeah. They implied that he turned into all the dead bodies. It's one of these things, it's a great idea, mm-hmm. but if you think about it too closely, the practicalities of it kind of fall apart, yeah. so I think you're probably not supposed to think about the practicalities yeah. of it because it kind of spoils yeah. it, I think. But I always do. <laughs> he, always, he, he always does, listeners, he always does. Yeah. When we write our DC comic, we certainly won't have anything like <laughs> yeah, that happen. When we write our DC comic and there's a scene when everyone is transported from Earth 3 onto Earth 4, there'll be five pages of mayhem. Of course. As building sites collapse and airplanes crash and, you know, births and stuff are interrupted and there'll be death and, on mm-hmm. a grand scale. It'll be like, why the last man all over again? And then when everything gets returned back to normal, we'll have an insert where Blue Beetle says to Superwoman, it's a good thing you were able to wind everything back, Superwoman, so that everything just went back to exactly the spot it was before. And then mm-hmm. she would say, I'm not new to this, Blue Beetle. I've done this before, or something. That's what would happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're being too pedantic here. What was the other point you wanted to make? It's incredible that Alan's ring and powers and his mm. sheer force of will work yes. on everyone in the Earth, too, including, they do, we don't see them, but they do get name-checked, Dr. Fate and the Spectre. Yes. I mean, yes. it works on everyone, just a blanket. Yes, I was a bit disappointed that we didn't see another member of the Justice Society amongst yeah. the crowds standing yeah. in Utah. The Utah deserts are built big enough to hold the population of an entire world. Well, then perhaps, maybe not now, but then. Do, I mean, do they not say that the entire population could fit into the Isle of Wight or something, or is that complete, am I completely wrong? No, that was interesting. I liked those little references because they obviously mm. kind of tied into the fact that Mike had written another team up involving some Golden Age guys. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was maybe a bit of a fan. That was really cool, those mentions, because it, without showing us, it just reminds us that those other Golden Age heroes are still around and not to be forgotten, yeah. of course. And it's a and it's a sly plug for the Spectre's ongoing book at this point as well, uh-huh. which is probably deliberate on Mike's part, I think. I think it could have been quite cool if they'd made this a two-part story. And when Hal flies off for his mission with the Green Lantern of, a, of another sector, we see that, and then that story ends in a cliffhanger. Then we come back, and he finishes off that story in the next issue. And then it's like he comes back and 
sees all these people new to it and it carries on. That would have been really interesting, I think. But obviously you don't get the impact of everything in one story. I disagree, actually. I think the whole point of this story is it's Alan Scott's sort of midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all about that. I think you would have lost too much of the focus unless Hal was experiencing something kind of similar on this other planet which echoed it. Yeah, that huh? might have worked. That'd be good, yeah. But I, no, I, th- I think it, it stood as it stood as it did really well. I mean, as we said in the cover, the spotlight is on Alan. It's, mm-hmm. I think it was better for it. I think it, the message and the intensity of the experience for Alan would have been diluted if we yeah. had 20 pages of outer space drama with Hal going on at the same time. Ooh, Interesting. Sure. A rare keeper of tracking moment there. Or is it Castor Valva? A rare, yes, a rare <laughs> Castor Valva moment there, listeners. I do quite like the mention that Gil Kane managed to put on the side of the van. Kane's careful carting. Now, it's one giant K... With uh, Ain and Airful and Arting beside it, it's not got three Ks. For not, uh, he didn't go for the KKK routes. That oh would God, have been can you yeah, a different thing entirely. But <laughs> that would have been horrendous. Oh goodness me! But yeah, so it's uh, very stylistic. But uh, I really did, I really did enjoy that. Just as a little artistic flourish, given the fact that this is his final one. Yeah. But Alan certainly is a man of action. This, even as Alan and not as Green Lantern, he's you yes. Know, Punching anyone any chance it gets. Yes, you know, punching any, anything that moves, quite frankly. Yeah. And I think it was good of how to kind of help him to try and chill. Maybe Gotham Broadcasting should send him on a course for a couple of days to learn mindfulness and meditation to help him calm down. I think that would be fun. I mean, the action's fantastic. I'm looking at the punches swinging in page 21 and it almost looks 3D. Oh, yeah. Seriously, just the lines behind it, it's just fantastic. I'm anticipating a tweet with four highlighted panels of... <laughs> of Alan punching people, <laughs> you know, just just for emphasis. I think that'll definitely happen. Mm-hmm. No, it's great. If Gil's bowing out as the regular artist at this point, then it's mm-hmm. it's a real high to go out on. It's a cracker. It, yeah, it succeeds for me on every level. I think. Cool. So we'll do the contemporary reader reaction now. Green Lantern's mail shoot. This is from issue sixty four. Pete's going to do the first letter. Dear editor, thoroughly modern mayhem. Green Lantern sixty one is the most enjoyable tale I've read of the Emerald Crusader since those classics in the early issues when GL travelled into strange dimensions to battle Sinestro. It didn't start out that way, however. In fact, until Alan Scott journeyed back into Earth 2, I was afraid that author Mike Friedrich had fallen flat on his face. But then, style took over, and style has been missing from GL for quite a while. Unlike the amateurish attempt in the previous issue to employ everyday people caught up in the vortex of violence... This idea had more depth, and Alan Scott, bless him, was just marvellous. His anger, his irrational behaviour, his hatred of the inhumanity which man is determined to commit against his fellow human beings was striking. Mm. Just what was the magic ingredient which turned this issue into a superior one? Just peruse the pages. Pause at the cover. Brilliantly coloured, drawn, immediately effective, conveying emotion and drama, not the usual candid excuse for drama. Stop for a moment on the twelfth page and realise as you read the words blazing forth from the radio that DC has at last brought Green Lantern back to the reality of the world, back to the environment which surrounds all of us, and realise at last that DC heroes are actually displaying emotion. I've had the feeling before that they've never felt anger or frustration, that they had trouble identifying who they were and why they existed. And as for humour, take a look at that panel of GL, Hal Jordan, leaning against the wall outside the sound studio, flippantly bemused by the erratic actions of his counterpart on Earth too. So, just a little bit of praise to Mike Friedrich for a fine beginning and the hope that he will continue to explore these emotions of his characters and that he will try to philosophise on any subject he wishes. 
And that's from Donald McGregor, Providence, Rhode Island. I wonder if that's future comic pro Don McGregor, probably most likely. What did he work on? I don't recognise the name. Black Panther, mostly. He's probably most well known for that. All right, okay. Interesting. High praise there. Yeah. Certainly is, yes. Editorial response. A more inside title for this double GL story might have been Thoroughly Mike Friedrich. <laughs> we like the way that fabulous femme fan Irene Vartanov zeroes in on the author's story goals. So the next letter from our old pal Irene. Dear Editor, I would like to be the first to announce the typical characteristic of all Mike Friedrich's stories published so far. It is, quite simply, the pep talk. Our hero becomes despondent over the outcome of his battle, or simply over his daily life, and another hero talks him out of the blues. Although I'm sure Mike will be springing as many unpredictables upon us fans as any other writer, after all, he's had very few stories published yet, this is the first distinguishing mark I've noticed, so I thought I'd pass it on for your edification. Actually, my newly discovered rule doesn't really hold for GL61. You might be interested to know that Mike lifted, with my consent, half of page 17 from a GL story I previously submitted to you and you rejected. Gosh. Ooh. Ye old pep talk triumphed over my bad plot to become part of Mike's good one. And that's from Irene Bartonoff, Lake Forest, Illinois. Interesting. I wonder if they were good friends in real life. Mm, who knows? Who knows? The next letter then. Dear Editor. GL61 was, to say the least, unorthodox. Your appreciation of this type of story depends on whether you enjoy reading stories where the heroes nearly hit you in the face with the moral of the yarn, mm. and they also unleash pent-up emotions of heat and frustration by doing something rash. The title of the story, Thoroughly Modern Mayhem, was perfectly terrible. I would agree with that, actually. Yeah. I think you should return to the splash panel format on the front page. The idea of starting the story in the middle of another story was annoying, since you don't get the feeling of being in the scoop along with the hero. Nevertheless, I did enjoy the rest of the story in which Hal Jordan, GL, played a very minor role in the proceedings. Even Alan Scott's explosion of frustration was well handled, although the result of his rash action to remove all evil was very predictable. And that's from Bill Sherman from Bloomfield, New Jersey. That's an interesting point about the title. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about Alan Scott as an author, of course, is I will shed my you know light over the dark things or overall yeah. evil sort of thing. You know, mm -hmm. maybe something that took a line from his oath or something. Overall evil would have been a great title. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the editorial response then to Bill's letter is: after a quarter of a century in which it has been customary to introduce a story with a single splash panel symbolising the theme or action, it's time for a change, a modernisation, a different approach. Accordingly. The full page splash may appear in page two or elsewhere. And that goes for the title too. That's true. That's something that definitely changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think though every Marvel comic I read as a kid definitely still started this with the main big full page splash. Yeah. So the final letter. Ah, it's from another familiar correspondent. Dear editor, when GL, in attempting to deliver a panacea to the rest of the world, destroys all human life, Mike Friedrich delivers one of the most stirring and poignant messages ever portrayed in a comic mag. The message is simply... All men are, in part, evil. It's the very nature of the human race that no man should be perfect, and this is why the so-called love moments will eventually fail. By nature, man is a selfish, greedy creature. He cares little for the wants and desires of others, and works mostly for himself. However, some men... I'm imagining this letter being read out by William Shatner, actually. <laughs> However, some men can overcome this basic and inherent fault, and as a result, work for the betterment of the race as a whole. Some men will do it on a minor scale, some on a major one, but all have, are, and will contribute to the eventual rise of man. Green Lantern is one who has done this work on a major scale, but even he has been unable to remove the poison from his own heart. 
The message of our GL to his friend was simply a reiteration in a new form of the old cliché about try, try again, as juvenile as it may sound. In essence, what he was saying was that although no man may heal the sins of the human race, we try to do our best. First to improve our own lives, then the lives of those around us, and so on. Thanks very much for a story that had a great deal of emotional impact on me. And that's from our old pal, Jeff Pierce, Stanford, California. Wow, what a very... What a very clever letter. That was nice. What nice one to finish on. That You're right. Good. Very Star Trek, yes. Yeah. Quite a yeah, quite an intellectual story, all in, really. You know, comics mm-hmm. are definitely maturing, I think. It's safe to say. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Just comparing this with the Spectre story we did recently, obviously Gil Kane's artwork looks more silver agey than the Neil Adams art that we had in the Spectre, but I would say the scripts are very Similar in mm. tone, and yeah, yeah, I agree with basically most of the things that were said in the columns, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was interesting. There was no one there that was being particularly negative. No, well, apart from Irene saying, you pinched my idea. Uh, <laughs> I think that was something they'd, they'd agreed upon, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was probably just having a pop at the fact that she got rejected <laughs> and Mike yeah, wasn't. true. No, a, a very, very satisfying story. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame this one wasn't included in the, the crisis and multiple team-ups trade paperbacks. It's yeah, bizarre true. that it, it wasn't. I think being side-by-side to the, the Spectrum Wildcat story would have mm-hmm. highlighted both of their strengths rather than, you know, mm-hmm. over the similarities, I think. It's, it's a shame, but it was a good one. I enjoyed it very, very much. And I also really enjoyed it. However, we're not alone in this story. What did you, dear listener, think? Please get in touch. You can email us at theafterpodcast at gmail.com. As we've alluded to during the show, we'll be putting up some highlights on our social media of this very story. So please check that out on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. And it's the number two for all our social media. And also make sure you check out our website, that's theearth2podcast.com, where you can find this and all our previous shows. Please do, and if you enjoy what we're doing, you can find the link to our coffee page and buy us a coffee, that'd be much appreciated. So, yes, so welcome back, 2022, it's a brilliant comic to start off with. It is indeed, yes. Some other good stuff coming up very, very soon. Mm-hmm. The first JLA GSA team-up we've done in quite a long time will be long soon, and hopefully a few surprises, maybe a few things that you might not be expecting, listeners, but we'll see how we go. Indeed. Thank you for joining us on our first show of the new year. And on that bombshell, I've been Peter. <laughs> he has been Peter. And I've been David. And we'll see you soon on The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. You're angry. You're angry. Your brain reels. Furious. Dark. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to keep plumbing. Plumbing? You've got to keep plumbing up. Did it again, sorry, Pierre. Thinking. From what Alan told me, those. Right now I'm pipping. Pipping? Right now I'm pipping. <laughs> right now I'm pip. <laughs> right now I'm pipping was a B side for me. <laughs> no, that's not good, then. That's fine.